All right. Welcome, everyone. Good afternoon. Today is April 24th, 2017, and we are continuing uh, in our monthly webinar series, Is the Petitioner Employee? And this is, of course, done uh, from a New Jersey perspective. We also have these webinars uh, from a New York perspective as well. Uh, we're going to have a presentation. The presentation uh, will be followed by any questions. Uh, there is a box somewhere on your screen. If you can uh, write in questions as the presentation goes on, that's fine. Uh, we will answer hopefully one or two at the end of the presentation, and uh, Angela and I will uh, get back to you by way of email with any answers that we do not provide uh, in the presentation. My name is Joseph Jones. I'm an attorney here and a partner at Lois Law Firm, and I have with me Angela DiPapolo, who is on Team New Jersey, and we are here to present to you today's topic. As a reminder, we have a monthly webinar series. The third Monday of every month is our New York series, and the fourth Monday, which is today, is our New Jersey series. Uh, we have a couple of different things that are available to you as resources. Uh, first of all, if you want to watch any other webinars that we've done on our website, you can find the webinar archive uh, and watch all the different videos we've done on all the different topics, both New York and New Jersey. The firm also has a number of different resources that, uh, that are available to you. We have uh, our website itself, which has a host of different articles that all the various attorneys in the firm contribute to. Uh, we have uh, books that are available, a handbook in both New Jersey and New York, uh, as far as workers' compensation in those states. And we also have a book done in conjunction with Lexis, uh, sort of a best practices uh, here in New Jersey for workers' compensation. We have also these monthly webinar series, and we also have a newsletter that's available that we can send you uh, on a regular basis as well. Today's topic is lack of employment. Uh, essentially, you're going to get a call from your location. That call is usually the first question is, is this person, is this petitioner an employee or not? There are a number of different uh, defenses and denial reasons you're going to start looking at, uh, including things like notice and statute of limitations. Uh, but ideally, we just really want to know, is this person an employee? The definition of an employee is found in Section 36 of the New Jersey Statutes. That's 34, 15-36. Uh, it's kind of a little bit long-winded, but essentially it provides uh, service for, a, for financial consideration. If you're providing service for financial consideration, you're considered an employee. That's a pretty broad term, pretty right. broad definition. Um, certainly a pay stub is something that will exhibit whether or not you're an employee. A W-2 form helps, uh, but those things, as you'll learn today, are not dispositive of the issue. Uh, just a quick note, if uh, longshore people are not part of this. They're, they're, if, you have a long, if you're a longshoreman and you have a separate claim, uh, that'll be filed in the federal court and not here in New Jersey Workers' Compensation Court. Now, how do we tell the court that we're accepting or denying this person as a petitioner? It's easy. We have our answer that we file with the uh, workers' compensation uh, court, and there's a box that you can check off, employee, yes or no. So it's really easy to sort of tell the court and everybody in general uh, whether or not he is he or she is an employee. Okay, let's talk about people who generally are employees. And again, we, we mentioned W-2s, we mentioned having pay stubs uh, as, a, as an indicator, but there are certain sort of fact-sensitive scenarios that go along with trying to figure out whether a person is an employee or not. For example, a sole proprietor. You might have a sole member LLC, uh, and you're wondering, is that person an employee? They, as a sole member uh, LLC or a sole proprietor, they can actually elect out of the workers' compensation. So they can elect to not have coverage for themselves. But if they were to hire employees, those employees, such as a secretary or a paralegal or something like that, if it's a law firm, uh, obviously have to be covered. Illegal employment. This is mainly your topic of uh, immigrants. Okay, Illegal immigrants in the country, they're working for you. We have Port Newark here in New Jersey, so there's a lot of that going on. Um, they are entitled to workers' compensation benefits. 
and uh, it's important there because from a policy perspective, um, I think the legislature wanted to make sure that employers didn't go out and hire people who were illegal immigrants knowing they could then deny them benefits. That's pretty unfair and unjust to those people. So they are actually covered and it is uh, covered that you do have to provide if they're working for you. And then you have a situation sort of like day laborers. Somebody maybe you pick up at the local corner, they're just standing around waiting for some jobs. You go and hire them. They are employees. Even though you might be paying them cash, you might only hire them for a day or two, uh, but they are employees. Angela, who's not an employee? Not employees. Those people would be independent contractors, vendors, and subcontractors. Okay. And we're going to get into these topics a little bit more. We have some scenarios that we're going to play through uh, in, in a couple minutes uh, to sort of get more in-depth into those. But those type things are, it's very important for investigation. You really need your investigation to figure right. out if these categories are not our employees. Most people think, well, I have a contract. You know, if it's an independent contractor or even a subcontractor, I have a contract that says these things. Therefore, it's dispositive of the issue. That is not the case, as you'll, as you'll learn. Then we have dual employment situations. Okay, this is the situation of basically a temp agency. So you have a location, maybe it's a factory, uh, they have more work than they can handle with their current employees, so they contact or contract with a temp agency to supply additional employees. The question becomes whether or not those temp agency employees are employees of the temp agency, employees of the location, or sometimes dual employment. So we find, and you and I have had a number of different cases like this, right. Uh, that sometimes the employee can be deemed to have two different employers. And a lot of that comes down to the who directs and controls the employee. So typically you'll have a, a contract between the temp agency and the, the employer who's looking for help, which may even clearly say who's the employee, but if that location is the one controlling the actual job tasks and the hours and everything else of that person, it, there could be a dual employment situation. So again, I think here it's fair to say that investigation is really important. Um, the more you tell us about the details of this person's employment, the easier it's going to be for us to decide whether or not you can actually de deny or have to accept that person as an employee. Let's talk more about independent contractors. Okay, independent contractors. Um, there's no right to direct or control. Um, the independent contractor doesn't have the ability to uh, be hired or fired. Um, the business that the independent contractor has is different from the alleged employer. He has a different business entity and the independent contractor actually controls his own work. He brings his own tools to the site and whatever else he needs to actually perform the job duties that he right. was there for. And usually they have, well, they should have their own workers' compensation insurance. Right. And even if you have all these things apply, you and I know that still may not be enough, right. right? So you can have an independent contractor agreement, a written agreement. Uh, you can make sure that that person goes out and gets their own coverage. Um, if it's just say a trucker, they have their own truck, they maintain their own truck. But even in that situation, you could still find that that person is considered to be an employee, um, you know, by the by the courts. So, okay, we have a couple of scenarios we're going to run through, at, which is going to give us more examples of these sort of edge type cases, not the typical guy comes to an office, has a W-2, it's no question that he's an employee. So let's go through these and then we'll talk about each one individually. Hi Greg, this is Joey from the warehouse. Sarah just got hurt here because she was not following our safety rules. Can she file a worker's compensation claim? Alright, what about this one Angela? This one, Sarah um, wasn't following the safety instructions that were provided to her, but 
in this kind of a case, she's still an employee and she still has the right to file a workers' comp claim and she's entitled to the benefits provided by the statute. Right, and I've, I, we've both gotten calls on this. Usually there's some kind of OSHA violation, that's typically where you find this, um, and the employer or the, the location wants to know, well, you know, the, the employer violated that, that safety regulation, so, you know, we're not on the hook for this, right? It's, it's the employer himself, maybe some third-party lawsuit or something like that. Okay. Uh, but as, as you indicated, not following safety rules does not exempt you from workers' comp. So uh, often the safety rules are violated because the employer wants their employees to be more productive. Maybe uh, there's a guard on a particular machine that's not fast enough for the employer. Um, you and I have a specific case we're dealing with where uh, there was a scaffolding collapse. And we know from the investigation we've seen so far, the scaffolding was not erected. It was kind of erected real quickly without right. any safety uh, rules being followed and that wind up collapsing and seven or eight people were injured as a result right. of that. They are entitled to workers' comp insurance. Absolutely. Yeah, just, just because there's a violation of safety rules does not exempt you from workers' comp. All right, let's check the next scenario. Before our new lag tech even filled out his new hire paperwork and before he punched in, he was burned by a Bunsen burner. Can he file a workers' compensation claim? little technical glitch there as the rest of that sort of filled in, but uh, this is an example of a, basically a, a person comes in, they're filling out their hire paperwork, and before he even punches in, before he punches in on the clock, he gets hurt somehow. Uh, so new hires, are they compensable? And they absolutely are. They are, yes. Um, and just like the scenario suggests, even if they're not shown to their desk, they didn't actually start any work, uh, and they're maybe just filling out the new hire paperwork, they're still an employee at that point and will be entitled to workers' comp benefits. All right, let's uh, run through the next scenario. The holidays are a busy time for us. We hire temporary workers to handle the overflow. Are they entitled to workers' compensation benefits? Uh, what do we do about Christmas time? Christmas time, if you hire a temporary worker just to handle the overflow, they're entitled to benefits too, even though they're, they all know they're being hired for a short period of time, and probably in January they'll all be fired, but if they get hurt Two weeks, time, I bring them in for two weeks just for Christmas, I still got to pay them benefits? Yes, they're still entitled uh, to benefits. Boy. Okay, they can think twice about who you're hiring then for Christmas. <laughs> all right, let's take a look at another, uh, another example. After the accident, we learned this employee did not have working papers. Can he still file a claim? Okay, this poor guy got electrocuted, but uh, we find out from the, the hypothetical here that he's an illegal immigrant. He doesn't have working papers. Um, what happens with that? Obviously, as we mentioned before, he is entitled to benefits. Um, one of the ways when, we're, when you see a claim petition, one of the little hints that we can give you uh, in terms of maybe this being a, potentially highlighting this as an issue, is if the petitioner does not have a social security number. Uh, social security numbers are all listed on the claim petitions. If there's a social security number that starts with a 900 number, okay, that's usually a number that, that means that person does not have their own social security right. number and the division will assign them a social security number for purposes of keeping track of the various cases that they have. Uh, so that is kind of a red flag of, hey, by the way, this is an issue, but as we indicated, it's not enough for a denial. Legal immigrants we have a 16-year-old kid who collects the shopping carts. He got hurt while working. It turns out he had fake working papers. Can he file a claim? 
this poor guy standing there while the kid's laying down hurt. He's not even helping out. <laughs> what do we do with minors, Angela? Minors, they're still entitled to benefits, even though um, they may have fake working papers. Uh, minor actually has better benefits in uh, the state of New Jersey. They can actually file in Superior Court if they choose to, and uh, they. So have they have an option rights. that adults don't have. That's right. So, so as an adult, you you're stuck with workers' comp, but as right. a as a minor, as you a can minor. choose. Yeah, even okay. if they have fake working papers. Okay, and usually that decision, I would imagine, is probably something that comes down to the attorney. Right. Right. The attorney might decide that a jury, maybe in a certain accident, the way it happened, is really exactly. something that he wants a jury to hear. Uh, so that, and certainly there's no cap on damages or anything like that. Exactly. In, in a superior court, so. Uh, if you have a minor uh, working, this doesn't come up very much. Not in often. 20 years of in practice, and I've never seen a minor who got hurt. Uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but um, it doesn't come up much. But if it does, they have the option of workers' comp benefits or opting out of that if they feel like it. Okay. We use a staffing company to supply our plant workers. If one of these lens employees gets hurt, can they file a claim against us? Okay, and this is, again, our uh, sort of temp agency situation. Right. And as we discussed, you know, employees that are temporarily there working for a different employer, there could be a dual sort of hybrid sort of situation. That is a very fact-sensitive scenario. We need investigation. We need to know all the details you can possibly tell us in order to figure out for sure whether we can properly deny or accept that case. And many of these often turn into trials, as, as we've seen, yeah. uh, where at least the petitioner's testimony is taken to sort right. of work through those issues. All right, we have another one lined up. Here at the gym, I pay all the trainers on 1099s. None of them can file a workers' comp claim against me, right? All right, so we got a 1099. That's good enough, right? No, independent not, contractor. No, it's not. Just because they um, get a 1099 doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to file workers' comp claims and get the benefits provided by the statute right. either. The document itself, the tax document, is not going to govern alone uh, what happens. Yeah. And you'll see in the next scenario, it, it often comes in uh, the scenario, the type of situations where it often comes up. All of the drivers we use are independent contractors. They can't file a claim. Right? Okay, independent contractors. This, in this particular context is truckers. And this is sort of what we alluded to before. Uh, this is a very, very common area where this comes up. Most of the time, uh, truckers are independent contractors. They have an agreement in place. They get paid by 1099. They own their own truck. They often have their own business that they actually, they have an LLC or whatever that they started. Um, but again, it is not necessarily dispositive of the issue just by those things being uh, in, in, in effect. So it's just details. It's details and facts that we really need to know uh, when you have these independent contractor situations. All these workers on this construction site are not my employees. They are all independent contractors. That will hold up, right? This, this one amazes me. I'm amazed in, in with all the cases we've had, how many people, and I think you can agree, Absolutely. don't know who they work for. Yeah. So these can, these uh, construction site cases are very common. Um, and, and again, it's, it's you know, in this particular case, the, there's, we have a statute that pushes liability up the ladder, 
Okay, right. so if you have a general contractor and you have several subcontractors, if there are uninsured subcontractors that potentially this employee can work for, eventually it could make its way up the ladder to us as the general contractor. Mm -hmm. um, you and I actually both worked on a case uh, involving that exact scenario. Right. We represent the general. There were three subcontractors, mm -hmm. and the employee, the petitioner, shows up. He doesn't know who he works for. Uh, on direct testimony, we asked him questions. He has no idea. He shows up. He gets paid cash uh, to work by a particular individual who he identified. He doesn't know who that person worked for, and it's it's crazy to think that someone can go to work and not know. But in this type of context, it happens a lot. A lot. And you really need to explore the details of uh, the job situation. I I know on cross examination, lots of questions were asked about. Uh, what trucks pulled up to the site and what signs were on those trucks to try and figure out who actually right. worked on the site. Uh, did they wear t-shirts or hats saying the company name? Anything to sort of pin that to a particular uh, subcontractor uh, so that we know who, who's responsible. But these are these are very difficult situations that are very fact sensitive right. and again involve a lot of investigation. All right, um, I think we've gone through most of the scenarios. I think that concludes our presentation for today. Again, just giving you sort of a basic layout of whether or not someone is a petitioner or not. Uh, it's question time, so let's see if we have any questions. Uh, Angela, you want to take the first one? Yeah, there's a question from Lauren. Um, if I hire a babysitter to go out on a date with my husband on a Friday night, is that babysitter considered an employee? They're not actually. They're a casual employee, which means that they're only hired or they're there just for you know a short period of time, and it's not something that you generally do. So it's not it's regular not, and recurring, right? Right. So right. she's actually your babysitter's not an employee. You don't have to provide her with any workers' compensation. You still have benefits. to pay her, probably. You do <laughs> <laughs> because she's then not going to appreciate that, right. <laughs> right? But yeah. And this is similar to even a situation like with a golf caddy. Okay, right. you go play golf. You hire that caddy for the day. But really, he's an employee of the golf course, not you. And again, it's not regular, it's not recurring, and so he's not entitled to workers' comp benefits, at least from you, Nothing should yet. should uh, he get hurt while handing you a golf cart or something right. like that. So, okay, good question. Uh, we'll take one more question I think we have time for. This one's from Bill. Um, I have an independent contractor agreement. Uh, I also pay by 1099. Uh, is this enough? Okay, well, Bill, as you, as you probably heard from uh, the presentation, that is not enough. No. Uh, it's sort of counterintuitive because you would think if you have a contract in place that clearly defines the terms of your relationship with that person, uh, that that would be the defining thing, the contract. But in New Jersey Workers' Comp, it is not. It is sort of a fact-finding mission that the judge is going to go on to determine what else is involved, who controls that person's uh, workday and, and the jobs that they get and where they go. Um, and, and again, the trucking, I think the trucking industry is a really big source of this type of problem uh, that we see a lot of cases on. So, uh, so again, uh, Bill, just really investigation is, is the key here to sort of uh, flush out the facts of what's going on. Okay? Uh, I think that's all we have time for. Um, if you do have any other questions, please type them in. Please send them to us. Angela and I will get back to you by email uh, so that we will certainly answer everyone's questions. Uh, just as a reminder, next month's topic is common defenses. That is going to be presented, at least in the New Jersey portion, on May 22nd, 2017. Uh, I believe Karen Vincent and Michael Gervolino from our Team Jersey are uh, presenting that one. So um, please you know, tune in for that as well. And Angela and I both thank you for your time today and hope this was at least a little bit helpful uh, in sort of setting forth whether or not your guy's an employee or not. Have a good day. Bye.